Welcome to The Practice, a podcast dedicated to unpacking the challenges and joys of being human in this unprecedented time. Each episode will delve into a different aspect of the practice of living with the goal of leaving you empowered to go out into the world as your best self embodied. Hello, and as always, thank you so much for taking the time and energy to be here. I'm your host, Brooke Davidson. And today I am really excited to get into the nitty gritty of stress response and to look at the biological factors that are at play whenever we encounter stress and especially in how we choose to respond to that versus how we instinctively react to that. So I want to preface this by saying that I'm going to talk a little bit about stress, about trauma, about the nervous system. I'm going to give an example right here at the start that involves a car accident. And so if any of that feels like it might be provoking to you in an unpleasant way, please feel free to end this podcast now and move on with your day. If it feels of interest to you, though, I'll start by sharing an example. A couple years ago, I was driving the snowy, windy winter roads of Wyoming down to Pinedale. And I was in the backseat of this vehicle with my niece seated next to me. My dog was in the very back behind us with all of our suitcases and such. And in the front two seats were my brother-in-law and my husband. And I had started to nod off in the back seat. And when I was jarred awake through noise or movement, I do not know. I just noticed myself coming awake and I looked out the window and I saw a car entirely in our lane from the opposite direction coming straight toward us. And it was not swerving out of the way. It was coming straight toward us. And so my brother-in-law behind the wheel swerved our car and we narrowly avoided him. I remember watching that car go right by my window and I'd thrown out my arm in front of my niece in that futile gesture that we all know doesn't really do anything, but we can't help but do it anyway. And as we got back onto the road, it was slick and we ended up spinning in multiple circles and going off the other side of the road. Once we were stopped, we were able to check in that everyone was okay. We could see the other driver had stopped and that he hadn't run into anything. He was okay. I was able to dig out my dog and determine that he was okay. And yet, I found myself shaking and crying. And in that moment, I felt a little bit of shame. And I felt it because the other two adults in the car were not having that same reaction that I was having. And I knew that I was safe, I knew that I was fine, that nothing bad had happened. We'd all come out of this a-okay, even the car was okay. And yet, that was my response. And I explained it to myself, not that I needed to, but I, I did. I explained it to myself saying, oh, you were jarred awake from sleep. You know so many people who have died in car accidents. You were nervous of what could have happened. It's a, a reminder of how temporary this life is. You know, and it, it shook me up a little bit. And so I told myself, yeah, that's okay. That's all that, that's all that those tears and that shaking was. And those things are true. And also there is a biological explanation for what I was experiencing. And it was that my body had encountered a stressful situation, a moment where I couldn't really do anything to help. I was kind of at the mercy of the powers that be. And 
I could not mobilize in that moment, right? I couldn't fight or flight or anything. I was just kind of there experiencing this thing out of my control. And my body had responded to the stress, though. It was ready, right? It was ready to fight or flee or do something. But I couldn't do that in that situation. And so my body completed the stress response by having me shake and cry and release all of that somatic experience after the incident. And if you think of it, that's really pretty incredible that our bodies are so wise, so able to protect us, so able to act in the service of our survival. And that's a phrase I want to return to a few different times, recognizing that anything the body does is truly in service of our survival. So when we consider how we respond to stress, there are kind of three main things at play. And this is a simplification of this larger concept. But if we look at the nervous system's potential responses, we have, first of all, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems. And often the parasympathetic has been thought of as the rest and digest, and the sympathetic has been thought of as fight and flight. And those elements are true, but they're also more nuanced than that. So I'll get into that in just a moment. But a key factor in understanding this is understanding polyvagal theory, which is really simply put, there is the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, runs from the base of the skull, through the face, through the throat, the chest, down into the abdomen. And when this was discovered, it was found that it's a two-way street of communication. Information travels from the brain down into the body and from the body up into the brain. And it was also the first time that science could prove a mind-body connection. So my go-to example for this is if you feel sick to your stomach when you're nervous, right? And you might even have like irregular bowel movements and you might have these very real symptoms, even though you know that it's just an emotional cause, not something you ate. And for many years, we thought, oh, wow, that person's able to just like make themselves sick when really... What's happening is that the body, this, the emotions that are being felt are manifesting in actual legitimate ailment. And so that's a pretty wild thing to conceptualize, to, to take into account that we actually, our emotions actually really do impact our well-being and our physical health, not just our mental and emotional health and vice versa. And so... If we think of the three main responses that the body might have in a stressful situation, first of all, we have one part of the parasympathetic nervous system, which relates to that vagus nerve, and it's called the dorsal vagal response. Now, this is our oldest response, the most reptilian part of our brain, so to speak. And in this response, we freeze, we immobilize. This is when we play dead. Right? And I used to teach grizzly bear education classes, and that was one thing that I had to teach was, all right, if you spook a bear and it didn't see you coming, the best thing is to play dead. If, like, you, if you get knocked down in this situation, play dead because it's more likely to leave than if you put up a fight and it might think you're antagonizing it. You know. And if we look at other animals, the possum is, of course, the best at this. Playing dead or kind of even turning off 
awareness of pain, there's like this numbing factor that comes into play here, this dissociative factor, this ability to put the mind elsewhere as a coping mechanism. That is the first response that the body is capable of producing in a stressful moment. And it's a really common one. And again, it's what the body does in service of survival, a very intelligent response. The next response relates to the sympathetic nervous system, and that's our fight or flight. This is where we feel that energy build up in the body to do something, right? It's like the energy goes away from digestive organs and stuff, and it prioritizes our limbs, thinking that we'd be using them to either fight or flee. And so another very intelligent response that we're capable of having. And it's, again, the body decides which thing it thinks is most useful in that moment. Is it most useful to freeze? Is it most useful to fight? Is it most useful to flee? And so the body kind of makes that decision for us in those moments. And then the third, and again, this is all a little bit simplified, so know that there are other various things at play, but the third main response is what we can call fawning. This is where a person isn't necessarily detached from the moment. They don't necessarily play dead, so to speak, but they submit to whatever the instigating stressful factor is. And so this is where a person, their body decides, okay, the way to survive this is to kind of play along here and to, to be a fawn, so to speak, in this situation. And now the third part of our nervous system itself relates again to the vagus nerve, but it relates to a different pathway in it called the ventral vagal pathway. And this is like when we are not experiencing stress, we have access to this. And we can think, this, think of this as our social engagement mode. This is where we're capable of interacting with people, building relationships, where we're capable of feeling trust. Um, this is a really important part to access of our nervous system. And sometimes if we're too trapped in those other responses, we don't quite get to this one. And of course, this is also our rest and digest parasympathetic response where our body says, oh, okay, everything is fine. We can go back to those things that are still important for living, but not necessarily, you know, we're not getting ready to fight or to flee. So let's put some of our energy toward digestion or toward sleep or whatever it might be. When we get to that like lower heart rate and whatnot, we can think of this as well. Although that can't be a part of freeze as well, but in the calm and grounded and still present sort of sense. And so anyway, the reason I go through this whole little lesson on the nervous system is because so many of our responses to stressful stimuli are dictated by the body. It's not something that we are consciously choosing. The only way that we differ from animals is that we do have the cognitive ability to override this once it's started. And so at times, for example, soldiers are trained such that when they encounter a stressful stimuli to be able to override, for example, the flight or the freeze response and fight, right? Like that's something that's part of the training program for military personnel. However, a lot of times when we 
override our system, we don't get to complete the response. So for example, I picture a little kid crying and their parent telling them, oh, like, stop crying. You look, you look so silly right now. Don't do that right now. And so the kid has to stop their stress response to the moment. Um, I think of in that car accident description that I shared that I could have really easily been like, Brooke, what are you doing right now? You don't need to be crying. Pull it together and not have actually processed that stress response. But what happens when we override it, if we don't get to process the whole cycle, if we don't get to finish the stress response, is that there is a physiological component, right? Like this response builds up in the body. And if we don't get to finish it out, then we may very well hold on to that within the body. And that's where we have post-traumatic stress. That's where we have, you know, this trauma that is held. You know, they always say that the issues in the tissue, like we hold on to things within our body. Did you know that 85% of information comes from the body to the brain? Right? Like sensory input that comes from the body and then up to the brain to be interpreted. And so we have these reactions, these responses physiologically within our bodies. And we don't always get the chance to finish it, which is something that we need to just be aware of for ourselves. That's why there are so many different therapies out there that are geared toward helping people process what it is that they've experienced maybe even years ago but also and that's obviously something outside of my realm that's something other professionals who are more educated in that realm could address but one thing that I can offer is that the next time you find yourself in a stressful situation notice what response your body chooses notice how it is in service of your survival and then become curious about allowing that to finish out, if, for example, you start to cry or shake and you feel that you're about to tell yourself to stop, you might experiment with allowing that reaction or witnessing it with a little more compassion, noting that it's nothing about you or who you are or what your choices might be. You know, there can be a, a person who is a black belt in karate that gets mugged and they freeze and they don't fight back, even though they could have kicked that person's butt, Right? And yet their body chose what to do in service of survival. So I'm going to end this episode here. I know I just barely scratched the surface of what is such a deep and nuanced and ever unfolding. This is all relatively, not all of it, but polyvagal theory anyway is from the 90s. You know, this is all still pretty fresh and interesting stuff. And I know that we could go on forever here, but I'm going to end this one where I am in hopes that maybe... Maybe you heard something that gives you a little more compassion toward yourself, a little bit more ease within yourself, and a little bit more awareness, because with awareness always comes empowerment. All right, thank you all. I'll talk to you later. To follow along with my work, you can find me on Instagram at brook underscore being. If you're interested in contacting me for a private yoga or life coach consult, please send an inquiry to brookdavidsonyoga at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.